0: Welcome to Hoovering, the podcast about eating. I'm Jessica Fosterkew. Here I'm joined by an interesting soul for snacks and sometimes full-blown banquets. We share conversation and confessions, not just about food, but about gobbling it up, or if you will, hoovering. Hoovering Hello, wigglers. We've got an absolutely epic episode for you here with Dr. Asha Lamy, also known as the Fat Doctor. Lucky me, because A, they're so busy, and because B, they're a doctor, for crying out loud, what treat for a clown like me to be able to talk to a real-life doctor about eating, let alone one as wise and fun and brilliant as Asha. First up, thanks lads, can I thank you, thanks, thanks. Thank you. Thanks. I'm thanking you for listening to this, the Hoovering podcast and for the five-star review you're giving us later if you haven't done already and for subscribing because um, some of you might not be, so just do it. Okay, thanks. And now a special thanks to my patrons. (laughs) I don't know how to make it. I've done so many thanks. How would you make a thanks any more special? I'd do do one in a really great voice. Thanks. (laughs) That's the special thanks for the patrons Um, because you patrons without you, I can't make this podcast because it's really expensive to make good, well-researched and produced independent podcasts. If you're into this pod and you've got even £2 a month left over after the things you need, please may you go to patreon.com forward slash the hoovering pod. I swap all sorts for your precious spare cash from mountains of exclusive, juicy, probably juicy, sometimes libelous content to videos from me to early and ad-free whole episodes Get on to BBC Sounds and listen to my comedy series Sturdy Girl Club, please, if you haven't already. It's free, it's just listening, and it's laughing out loud for you, hopefully. I'd love that. I'm ever so proud of it. If you're at Latitude Festival in a month's time in July, I'm going to Hoover Live in the listening post tent there in the afternoon on the first day on the Friday, the 21st of July. And I'd love to have you there, people who actually listen to the podcast and not just swanky festival dwellers. Also, 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 I hope you're coming to Hoovering Live on the 10th of August at the Camden Roundhouse Comedy Festival, 7pm for an hour or so. I've got such a swanky guest. I can't wait to announce them. And we can all eat and laugh at the same time and basically trash the joint. (laughs) The beautiful, iconic joint. Obviously, I'm joking about trashing it. I feel incredibly unsexily strongly about litter, as we all know. What I'm saying is we'll eat loads and laugh loads, basically. Heaven. Link to tickets in the podcast notes, and if you're a patron of mine, you get a discount on those tickets. Check your Patreon posts. Exciting, right? I can't wait to share this episode with you. This one's going to make you lol, I reckon, and feel righteous and empowered and hungry, and all the things that all my favourite episodes of Hoovering do, and this is one of my favourite Hoovering episodes. I feel flipping honoured to have talked to Asha. Let's have it.
1: Right, well, thank you very much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, this is the best um, one. That I can already tell this is going to be the best postcard I've ever done because there's food. <laughs> yes, get in!
0: <laughs> I know, the amount of people who... Um, well, you have a podcast as well, but the amount of people who go like, oh. What you actually eat on the podcast because my producer would not allow that <laughs> and I'm like, we're. it's basically the point. It's the whole it's the whole fucking point of this one. So I just think if anyone's got is it misophonia when you really don't like the sound of eating? Yeah. If anyone's got that, this this isn't the podcast for them, and that's fine. Don't listen in. Yeah. Find another one. Yeah. This isn't gonna be the one for you. This is the one where we're like
1: <laughs> and loving it. Um so yeah, we both you said you were into Japanese food. I did. It's my favourite. Yeah. If I could pick one food oh. out of all the foods, it'd be Japanese. Oh, I love it. I love it.
0: Have you ever been to Japan?
1: No. I mean, it's top of the list of places I'd love to go and has always felt too physically far away because I've always had young kids. (sighs) Yeah. So once I get rid of them... I mean, we're getting nearer and nearer to getting rid of them. So once I get rid of them, that I'm heading straight to Japan. (laughs) Actually, it's the one culture that we all are kind of, as a family, appreciate and enjoy for lots of different reasons. So I actually think the kids would want to come along. But, you know, I'm not paying for them Mm -hmm. to go to Japan, so... (laughs) You can just go to a Japanese restaurant for the sushi experience. Japan is very expensive sushi. Yeah, Yeah, it's true.
0: Yeah, so we're both eating Japanese food. Yeah. You've made yours in an emergency.
1: Emergency making. I wouldn't normally... It's not like I like, you know... I wouldn't... If I had a choice, I would totally get, you know, takeaway, but... Mm -hmm. I went to order it and found that it wasn't open on a Monday, that I'd never ordered on a Monday before. I know. It's outrageous. And I'm so craving sushi now that nothing will do. Oh, (laughs) I'm
0: sorry. Shall I pretend pretend that mine's gross? No, no,
1: no. It's fine. I'll just get some tomorrow. It's fine. (laughs) It's not a problem. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Okay, okay, good. It's not a problem.
0: Um, Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I I have um, never had a sushi place in Lewisham where I live in South East London before um we, it's possible it's been possible to order it from uh greenwich uh, you know yeah. it's not been a million miles away there's been sushi in my life yeah. a place called the sushi co it's been one of those shop fronts that's been threatening to open yeah. for like nearly a year it feels like oh. it's a very stop-start approach yeah. to the opening of this place <laughs> and then it wasn't clear from where it was whether it was going to be you know a counterfront. You take... I've made that sound like a drug running... You did make it thing, sound like, like no, they were laundering I mean, money. No, yeah, I, what I meant was a takeaway right. or somewhere you could sit in. It's opened, you could sit in it. Oh, it's nice. lovely. They make everything, as my son would say, by scratch <laughs> right in front of you. Mm. And um, it's flipping delish. Lovely. And um, yeah, it's going to be very hard not to get it.
1: It's going to be very hard not to get it all the flipping time. Mm. Um, yeah, they're lovely. My favourite Japanese restaurant in Edinburgh is called Kenji. And it, you... It's in Stockbridge and it's... it's You wouldn't notice it because it's in the basement. Um, and there's a shop Ooh. up I and mean, you have to go down into the basement. One of the best... Oh, well, it is the best easy restaurant um, I've ever been to, actually. I love it so much. It's very reasonably priced as well. It's yeah. like a hidden gem. So I don't like telling people Ooh. about it because I'm afraid that... <laughs> I love the way, it sounds like they've tucked it away like an 80s gay bar. <laughs> it's exactly like that, you sort of walk Is in, it? it's not windowless, Yeah, like, awesome, once you're in there you're like oh I'm in heaven, why did, Why have they made it so tricky to get, <laughs> yeah. to get in? It's just like that, but yeah. it's worth it. Oh, um, wow. So yes, but that's All too right. far, you have to go into the centre, I'm, yeah. I'm too lazy to do that.
0: Fair play. <laughs> um, so you've made your own Yakuda. maybe, I mean because there's a podcast about eating, mm. I mean I really want to get into your work because... I'm a big fan Um, um, but I know I can get deep very quickly on these things first of all shall we talk about what we're eating and try and be like Monday lunchtime food sommeliers right Um, I'll go first if you like so that you get a chance to actually taste some of yours Mm. I've got a poke bowl where they've given me I'm going to say like a a cheekily big bed of rice (laughs) compared to if I was making this like I get it you, you put the toppings on the top yeah. and you get proportionally yeah. I like rice yeah. but what they've done there's it's mildly sneaky
1: yeah.
0: um there's sweet corn I'm into it little chunks of avocado really nice shredded Shredded and maybe a bit pickled carrot. Yes, please. Now we're talking about the first thing I wouldn't be asked to do by myself. Yeah, and I'm glad it's there. There's also an I. I'm. What do you think this is? I don't know if it's tofu
1: or it's squidgy. Is it? Um, it's yellow. Is it like the pancake? I forget what it's called.
0: Mm. Oh, maybe. Mm. Or maybe it's that like lotus root. Oh, maybe. No, it actually doesn't taste very pancake. It tastes fresher than that. Okay, so it's some kind of oh. vegetable. Yes, maybe a squidgy vegetable. And then there's edamame beans, which I never know if I'm saying right. Um, yeah. And and on the top is, which I've never had with a pokeball before. Normally I just go big on the salty, on the soy and on the, um, on the like vinegary salty dressings. But they've put, they've put on what feels like a normal vinaigrette. Ooh. Like this is a some kind of Western salad. Oh, And, um, it's not not lovely. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Everything's okay. I failed to mention the actual salmon. There's some massive chunks of I was sashimi say, on the top. Yeah. Otherwise, I haven't ordered a vegetarian one. No. Not that I never would, but I really love
1: salmon. I really love salmon. Me too. I think I'm all... I love veggie food, but I wouldn't have mm-hmm. vegetarian sushi because I think the whole point for me is the salmon. And the other fish, yeah. but it's always been that salmon for me. Um, yeah. I felt like that. My partner's... Um,
0: vegetarian right so we're vegetarian at home unless if we're cooking yeah i am i mean as well she is everywhere (laughs) she does it she manages to do it absolutely everywhere um she made sushi at home once right from by scratch and it did woo me round. it had um the the standout things were not the bits i'd expect i'd expect to like the kind of like big umami tofu elements but the bits that the bits that blew my socks off were she did a kind of like there was a very fresh, crispy apple element. Oh, and there were some really tiny, thin slices of celeriac that were fit as well. Oh, nice! There, it was night nice, that was, and I'm not, and I've never even seen that as an option actually in a mm. sushi restaurant. I don't know where she got the idea from. That was lush,
1: but don't you think vegetarians no. are quite good at sort of making? Well, obviously, making vegetables the yes. the main attraction, which is like the amazing yes. thing about. I think people who make vegetarian food who don't who don't live the vegetarian life as it were yeah they don't get how amazing vegetables can be when you want them to mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. but yeah sushi is my yeah. one weakness i couldn't do vegetarian i could do vegetarian everything else mm-hmm. italian not a problem could live mm-hmm. without meat but i can't live without raw yeah. salmon there you go that's my one yeah. weakness <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well next time we've got a job interview <laughs> and they're like tell us your one flaw Oh, all right that'll them. be it <laughs> We can both confess. That's, that's so the, my uh, only flaw. Yeah. Imagine if that was it. That's actually my only. <laughs> that's the only thing I ever get wrong.
1: Yeah. Oh wow. I'm, I'm not. Um. I'm not one for lying, flat out like that. No. <laughs> I mean,
0: no, it's, really got to, no. it's got to
1: be. I'd love to be. Yeah. I'd love to have that
0: skill. <gasps> um, no. Were I to go on traitors, I think. Um, I don't know if you've seen that show, but the, it's basically mink wink. Mink murder is a very different <laughs> show. It's wink murder. Yeah, made into a reality TV show. Mm. But at one point, mm. Claudia Winkleberry goes around and taps, taps, some, taps a few people on the shoulder and they become traitors. Yeah. I know that if the lights came back up, we all took our masks off, if I'd been tapped on the shoulder, I'd genuinely probably be physically pointing at my own face. <laughs> and grinning. Like, I cannot... It's me! I
1: can't. <laughs>
0: Either that or be the, like, I'll be playing the best game ever and try and make everybody do it. So that we had no way of knowing who'd been picked from the second that the masks came off. Yes. Um, Please,
1: may you tell me about your lunch? Right, so I had to panic. I thought I'm not oh, going to eat. I mean, this is going to be what kind of, kind of <laughs> guess would I be if I didn't bring food? So I went downstairs and thought what to have in my cupboard. And I always have udon noodles in my cupboard. And then mm-hmm. I found vegetables. I had some cabbage. I had some mushrooms. I had some red onion. Oh, lovely! Um, I had a chicken breast. I actually wanted tofu, but actually, it takes longer mm-hmm. to do tofu. So. um I had a chicken breast because I wanted to get some protein in there. And I literally, within 10 minutes, I boiled my noodles whilst stir-frying the vegetables of the chicken, going, (laughs) I've got five minutes left, I've got five minutes left. And then whipped up a quick, um, so sesame oil, you know, Mm. bit of of mirin, bit of sugar, bit of soy sauce. Oh, yeah. Sesame seeds. It's actually, do you know what? It's turned out quite nice. And I only made enough for myself. Mm. And I feel... Not at all guilty about that. That's fine. It's mine. That's
0: fine. <laughs> you were actually prepping for work. I was. This is
1: work. This is. I
0: hope it feels like work, because this is work. It, I think. it is, and it's
1: um, the best kind of work. <laughs> Literally yes, the best kind of get work.
0: Get in. Mm. Oh, I love it. I think sesame oil mm. can take mm. almost any lunch, any meal yes. to a new level. Right. It's, um, it's the sort of thing where once I see that I'm, I've got to the... I mean, this says more about all sorts of... Other flaws potentially are. I'm going to have to admit it's more than one than one. Um, if I see that my sesame oil uh, tankard at no. home has got beneath the sort of one third yeah. point, that gets on the shopping list. 100%. I'm not having a situation where that isn't. Him. I'd rather run out of toilet roll. Mm.
1: I, I mean, oil. OK, I, I don't know where I would place <laughs> sesame oil and toilet roll, if I'm honest. Okay. But, but to be fair, we never did run out of toilet roll. And I think... No. You know, the fear of running out of toilet roll might be worse than actually running out of toilet. I don't know. I wouldn't want to speculate, but I have to say... Well, ironically, the fear
0: of running out of toilet roll is going to lead to a physical behaviour which is going to require toilet roll.
1: So, right. So, it's a vicious circle, That that is very true. But I'm with you. You can't can't run out of sesame oil in your cupboard. If you don't have it in your cupboard, you've failed in life. Because you never know when you might have to make yourself some yakki uton... (laughs) Yeah. For a podcast, With five minutes notice, and not have it, it would Very have been disgusting horrible. if it didn't. If it wasn't in there, it would be horrible. I wouldn't even want to eat yeah. it. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love it.
0: Um, so, okay, <laughs> let's get into your work. <laughs> um, I, well, it's about all sorts, isn't it? I, I mean, I'm sort of tempted to just go. Just can you just talk about all the amazing thing, all the amazing things you do, and all the activism, etc. But like, you're you are you're a doctor. but You are also do an incredible amount of work on on social media and beyond now about exposing weight stigma in medicine. You've dedicated an enormous amount of your time and energy and do dedicate to activism. What blows my mind is that it still feels so transgressive to society generally to be advocating for just a genuinely healthy relationship with eating, to be advocating for people in fat bodies to be treated equally especially in medical settings well, I want to get into that more specifically um but can we start first of all with um can we get into your journey into becoming the fat doctor mm.
1: please first of all I get asked it a lot you know and it changes every time I sell it yeah oddly oh, I love it. <laughs> it changes every time I tell the story it gets better I think yeah. um <laughs> I think you know I grew up it probably like you and like pretty much everyone else, but being told that being to be fat was to was bad and to be afraid of being fat and to therefore uh to restrict what I ate and restricting when you're a child is never good because obviously the moment you're restricted, you're gonna go and you're gonna you know try and find it elsewhere, which is exactly what I did. And I didn't have a healthy relationship with food from day one, felt like I was always on a diet. Um, got to medical school. I mean, I graduated in 2003, so I was in medical school in the previous century. Around that time, you know, there was a big change, end of the... 20th century beginning of the 21st century for a long time being fat was considered morally wrong uh repulsive mm-hmm. disgusting you know associated with laziness and gluttony and so it was about moral virtue and also about desirability you, you can't you know you can't get a man that was the typical thing you want to get a man you have to go on a diet for those of us not looking for a man that was really nice but it didn't matter um because, because it was still you know even though We didn't abide by that particular rule. We were still living in a world Mm. where it was all about, you know, you are nothing, no one, worthless, the lowest of the low, if you allow your body to become fat. So around the end of the 20th century, beginning of the 21st century, health came into it, health. And I put health in loose inverted commas, Mm. not that anyone knows what health actually means. But it became the responsibility of the health profession to police fat. And we weren't really doing it up until that point in time. And we started doing it around the time I went to medical school. So I was inundated with all oh, of this. God. And, he, and it was, I mean, it's nothing compared to what it is now. I mean, it was fine, much easier. I mean, we, we didn't weigh children mm. when I was, when I, when oh, I was in medical God. school. We didn't weigh children. We're doing that now. So, I mean, there was all sorts of things yeah. that has got worse and worse and worse. But you would get indoctrinated and then you go out into the world and you, you now became a GP and... A lot of my job as a GP is preventative medicine, so there was a lot of fat phobia in that. And it was, I just accepted it. Why wouldn't I? No one ever told me otherwise. And I turned 40 in 2020, about two months into the lockdown, um, and went through... I don't know if it was a midlife crisis or was a COVID-inspired. I don't know if I would have gone through it without COVID, but whatever. It was a system, it was a a boiling pot for me, you know. I I decided the way to handle that was to join social media at 40 and then start a blog. (laughs) I I laughed to myself, like, I don't know what I was thinking. My children were (laughs) devastated. They were like, oh, my God, that's (laughs) so embarrassing. Um, (laughs) How could you do that? Um, And so I, I, I started this blog. You know, I called myself the fat doctor thinking it was ironic, thinking one day I was going to lose yeah. a ton of weight and I was on a, I was on a weight loss journey thinking I'll oh lose a ton God. of weight and I'm going to be like, remember when I was fat, you know, the fat doctor or wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> That didn't work out. So I wanted to tell the story of how I lost a ton of weight and I didn't. I mean, I did. Actually, I did. I always do when I start a diet. I'm great at losing weight. First few months, you know, brilliant, always the same. And then I hit a wall like I always do. And COVID made it worse because at the same time as, as this was going on, we were also palliating a lot of patients and we were watching so many patients dying in front of us. It was a really difficult time anyway for us. Yeah. So I went into a kind of a, nosedive, a bit of a tailspin thinking I can't do this again I give up I was all ready to pack it in um and alongside me came a whole bunch of people a few people who I'm still very much in contact with who were part of the anti-diet community and some even more beyond the anti-diet community were kind of part of, kind of this idea of fat liberation and you know when I first heard the term fat liberation I was just like that's the most hilarious thing I've ever heard in my life um, <laughs> Fat like liberating fat people to do what exactly? But um, I got I started. Well. I started learning. I started reading. I started listening. Um, I started yeah. reading books. I started reading research papers. And the more I read, I was just like, this can't be. This can't be true. Like it just can't be true. How can there be no evidence? You know, there, there must be some evidence. So I kept looking yeah. for the evidence. Look for the evidence that weight loss it's going to make me healthy because that's what I had been led to believe since I was, you know, Mm. certainly since I started medical school. I just couldn't find it. And the more I looked, the more I was just like, this is nonsense. Then I started to read about weight stigma and the impact that had on us physically, emotionally, um, socially, but also the impact it was having on our medical care because doctors were not, they were not treating their fat patients the same as their thin patients. And it was blatant and obvious. So when I got around to that part, I think the study that shocked me the most was I was looking, it was COVID. So I was looking at the swine flu pandemic, you know, COVID's like toothless aunt that happened beforehand and the swine flu pandemic, they did it at the time. They kept saying, well, fat people are dying of swine flu more than thin people. And you know, it's terrible and blah, blah, blah. I remember working through swine flu. So I remember it. I was a GP at that point in time, but then it must've been seven years later, they brought up a paper that looked at the link between fat people dying of swine flu, and what they found was that it was all about delayed treatment. And the reason that people were dying at a higher rate was because the treatment was delayed. And if you got rid of that, if you adjusted for that, there was no link. So I remember... reading Because you'd go in with symptoms of swine flu, and the doctor would be like... Let's sort this fatness out first. Quite well. I mean, there's so many reasons. And the problem is, of course, the study doesn't look at the reason. It wasn't looking for it, so we don't know the reasons. But just looking at that thing, are you thinking, why on earth was treatment delayed in fat people from a virus, a pandemic? There's just no reason that should happen. There's just no, I can't Mm -hmm. think of one good reason. And then I start thinking of all the potential reasons, like, you know, doctors not giving out the Tamiflu quick enough, People not being feeling people feeling afraid to go and see their doctor, and you know the more I was listing the reasons, I was thinking in real life right now we 're in the middle of a covid pandemic, and I bet you I bet you this is happening again, and this isn 't just now a few thousand yeah. deaths these are literally hundreds of thousands of deaths worldwide, and it is affecting affecting fat people more, and everyone's saying oh it 's fat people they're the reason that we have this covid pandemic, and i 'm thinking. What 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 does that mean? You know, what does it mean, this idea of delayed treatment? How is it actually impacting us right now in this moment? So I guess that kind of galvanised me. And that's probably why, you know, maybe if it happened at a different time in my life or a different time in the world, maybe I wouldn't have been so, I don't know, uh, like... I wouldn't have so much zeal and passion or I wouldn't feel so consumed with it. But I, I just, I felt it began to consume. I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't think or practice or work in a world where life was just this unfair and I had to do something about it. And my idea was go find someone that's doing something about it and join them. You know, be in the background, be, be a supporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I went looking for them. Where are they? <laughs> where are all the doctors kind of going? This is a bit unethical and illegal, isn't it? They just don't exist. So it, I... I you know, I guess people start looking to me because I'm the only voice, not because I'm the best voice, but because there just aren't that many people out there saying the same thing. Oh, thank you for you. (laughs) And thank you for everything you do. (laughs) Um, It's...
0: Oh, it's boggling. I hope you're not the only one for, for long, you know, because it's... Well, as you said, there's so much, such deeply ingrained learning from birth, as you said, that it does feel like when you get your head around... I try on this podcast to be really genuine open book on pretty much everything. Like, I, the most ethical way to eat, the most in, least environmental impact way to eat, like um, stuff around class, stuff around uh, privilege. I, I try really hard to get lots of different voices represented. The one thing where I, that I will not countenance giving any voice to on this is. Um, Anything pro-diet, and I suppose it's intrinsically connected, but anything fat-phobic. Because when I broke that seal, it felt like... um, Oh well, an epiphany, mm. like a euphoric yeah. epiphany. Not that it worked like that, no. and I was suddenly cured of all my it, it internalized all my self loathing, etc. I'm on a long journey with that, but like it all tied in. It all happened at the same time to resolving, you know, having hugely brilliant mind, learning my education, the same one for me. It, it pulled me out of a lifetime of really disordered eating, and it's like. Wow. What? Yeah, what would you sound like if you said it now in a big
1: boiler list? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: I am interrupting this amazing episode with uh, Dr. Asher to address some of your brilliant answers to my listener questions. Um, We are looking for the first time at the question I asked you, which an an abundance of you responded to. I asked you to tell me about a time where you ate a weird amount of one particular food. And I wanted to know how that went for you. This was inspired by um, the fact that I recently recalled when I used to work, I used to read the traffic news on the radio. And I I was basically, I was either very busy or very bored. And um, I enjoyed doing it for some of the stations more than others. Um, I, as a dare, not by anyone else, purely a dare for me, by me, I delivered Perfectly, I might add, with complete clarity, an entire traffic bulletin on LBC with um, nine cherry tomatoes in my mouth. Problem is, I got cocky and bragged. Somebody heard me bragging and, oh, long story short, got fired. Um, <laughs> OK, all right. I wanted to know what your experience of things you've eaten a weird amount of and how it went. Uh, a number of you got in touch on social media. A man called Robert on Twitter ate a table of seven people's onion rings and his own. Accidentally ordered a side of onion rings, not realising an entire table full of people um, who didn't even like onion rings were all about to get onion rings as well. He ate a total of 27 onion rings. How did it go? He says... I still like onion rings. Love to hear it, Robert. Tessa, she found uh, a bag of eight satsumas in a corner shop in Newcastle for 8p. She bought two bags and um, I worked till 4pm. By 5pm, I'd lost my voice, completely gone. It's the acid, apparently. God, that's bad. Oh, I hope the people who that's um, really important for, like, who really need their voice already know about that, like Rishi Sunak and Adele and Tina Turner. Oh, we've had a wonderful uh, voice note from Hannah. Oh, I love a voice note. They're my fave. Let's go.
1: When I was pregnant with my daughter about nine years ago, I had a thing for co-op red velvet cake. I must have eaten a red velvet, one of the small red velvet cakes every day. I then did a poo that was red. (laughs) I absolutely went nuts, freaked out, spoke to my midwife, rang the doctor's, and they were like, yeah, it's because you're eating too much red velvet cake. Try eating some broccoli. And it literally looked like I'd shut out a red velvet cake.
0: Yeah, I mean, was it, it was basically a beetroot effect, was it? Oh, my goodness, crumbs. Lovely. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for sharing. Thank you so much if you got in touch with any of these brilliant stories. I loved them. Keep an eye on at the hoovering pod on Instagram and Twitter, where I will be firing more questions at you. Imminently. In the meantime, let's get back into this brilliant episode with Dr. Asher. you help people advocate for themselves in medical environments and I want to know all about that project from my point of view I had a thing recently actually I'm small fat which means uh, if you're listening and don't know it's like and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of this and I'm right in, if I don't get corrected now, anyone listening, but I I think that's right. I'm like in the category of size 14 to 18. I can shop in normal shops. I'm incredibly privileged. I can fit in most seats. I don't face abuse in public. I'm really, really, really privileged. Um, But on a BMI chart, I'm still definitely categorically well into obese. So by my own, many of my friends and family's definition, I am diseased and I am unwell. Um, For me personally, I'm fully aware i'm both mentally and physically the healthiest i've ever been but that's because i've made my peace with my body anyway um (laughs) what blew my mind was i've got myself to the point so i really really love weightlifting all the different sorts i flirt with them all um I love it. It brings me incredible joy and the sorts of feelings of achievement I never thought I would get from anything other than my career or my family ever. I love it. What part of it, for some of the competitions I like joining in with, means being weighed to be in certain... to know what category you're in in the competition. Now, um, for years, I was like, well, I don't know, I won't compete because it's not worth it for me because I know what happens to me if I get weighed. Over the years... With a lot of work and a lot of, you know, experimentation in very safe settings with just me and a coach. I was like, I've actually a point where I can weigh my... I don't do competitions all the time either. I probably do sort of three or four a year. Um, I don't attempt to... Change, part of it is I know I can... I don't attempt to change my weight in the run up to a competition. Um, it just is a number on a thing that puts me in one group or another. And that's that. Um, and... um yeah, and what's and what's really interesting is I now have had probably four, maybe five experiences of doing competition and being weighed before it and been fine. I knew what was coming. I prepared myself. I had an eye on myself. I was watching for behavioural change. Watching, I, sli- I heard a voice. I still hear a voice going, if you did this, maybe you could do this. I don't do it, and that's that. I got weighed recently in a medical set. And what I think is mind-blowing is that the only place left and in my very, very privileged position and privileged body size that I don't feel safe actually and that i feel i'm gonna say scared actively scared is at the gps or at the hospital i had an appointment recently for a gyny thing i wasn't going to not go i'd been waiting for the appointment for a year it's something that's got absolutely fuck all to do with my weight um and i got in there and was weighed and i i didn't see it coming I wasn't brave enough to advocate for myself. I went along with it and got weighed and listened to the lady say things about my weight. Um, almost looked confused because I think she was weighing she was literally weighing up psychologically looking at me, whether or not to say something about my weight. Um She could sense I was uncomfortable. I was trying not to cry. It was really obvious I was trying not to cry. I didn't want to be wet. It was also a very busy corridor. Like, nothing about it was done well. I didn't think of it again until a fortnight later, I was like, what is going on with me? My mental health is the shittest it's been in ages. I found myself crying over nothing. I found myself, the noise to disordered eat in my mind was louder than it had been for years, including. An entire pandemic. Um, So I've had so many instances. I've been... I listen to people talk about their disorders. I put myself in triggering situations because of this podcast, because of the type of PE I love all the time. Nothing had got me like this. It fucked me up, is the only objectively way to put it. It really, really made me want to... And ironically, because their intention is to make you want to lose weight, my choice of disordered eating often makes me fatter. So... And they triggered me into really wanting to binge. It was like, what?! Are you thinking what relevance could there possibly be to my weight, to that medical appointment? And it can I can fully understand why people go, well, I'm just not going to go to the next one because of how that made me feel.
1: Isn't that mad? I mean, yes, it's mad. When you think, when you describe it like that, you just think, you say, well, it was just getting weighed, but it wasn't because here's the thing. Um, I always say to people, this is about consent. Um, To be weighed or not to be weighed is a consent issue. And it is a consent issue that is extremely important. Um, and, and we don't, you know, when it comes to weight stigma, we, we as a profession have failed across the board. And I often talk about the HIV and AIDS stigma. Um, Mm. you know, those of us who are old enough to remember AIDS from its beginning, from its, you know, from, from the early 80s until now, the, the things that, that the medical professional professions did to HIV sufferers, it's unconscionable. I you know, there are, there are films about it and documentaries about it. It's, it's horrifying. Um, but even as early as the sort of, sort of 1984, 1985, the international health organisations, the WHO and all the other international health organisations said stigma's a problem. This is going to mm. stop people from accessing care and we can't fix this problem unless people access care. So we have to address the stigma. As early as the 1980s when, when care was shocking and prejudice was rife and you know we're not talking about like the late 90s we're talking about when people mm. were dying of AIDS every single day. As early as then they were talking about stigma weight stigma hasn't ever been discussed on an international level ever and we're not thinking about like you say the psychological impact just of being weighed simply stepping on scales in a medical environment like you said mm-hmm. there are other places where perhaps you feel safe me personally i can't step on scales at the moment i'm not at that place mm-hmm. but um you you can get to that place like you say i mean you you competing now in a way that actually a lot of people do restrict and do do a lot of unhealthy things prior Mm -hmm. to a weightlifting competition. You're saying not only can you weigh me, but I'm not going to do any of those things. That shows deep (laughs) growth and personal growth. You know, you have clearly handled your business as it were, and you are clearly Mm -hmm. in a good place. The moment you end up in a doctor's office, you are at your most vulnerable, you are at your most weak and you've lost all agency. And the thing about consent, Mm. the thing about autonomy, the thing about the right to consent is you don't just need information. You need agency. You need the power to say no. You have to be in a place not only where you are able to say no, but where you feel that you have enough agency and power and autonomy to be able to say no and for it to be heard. And when you're stuck in that corridor or, you know, in that little room and they've called your name and the thing is they call your name and you think you're going to see the doctor and you're like, woohoo, because it's quite early and then they just see they just bring you in they go we're just gonna do some you know your weight and your height and your blood pressure and you just think Mm. oh no and what do you do like you are frozen in the spot you just did did it i think half the the fuss i was in
0: afterwards was like i was 39 why didn't i just say at least say oh can i check what relevance my weight is to what's happening to me today so
1: I wish I'd at least said that. Absolutely. And that's where I got the idea to do this, this idea of a a campaign that was hashtag no way because, you know, a, because it's a pun and I'm very punny and B because (laughs) (laughs) if there's one thing I want to empower people to do first and foremost is to say no to being weighed, And I don't just mean that. I mean, everybody, everybody needs to be able to say no, no, thank you. It's not necessary. There are, Literally a tiny, tiny handful of, of situations where it's necessary. And really, it's only yeah. if we're dosing you for a drug. And in those con- con- right. yeah, conditions, you can totally do that, in, in, not in a hospital corridor. You can do it as a blind mm-hmm. weight. You don't have to put someone's weight on their hospital letter. When you're getting a discharge yeah. letter from hospital now it often has your weight in it I and mean, why who needs to know that and there are so yeah. many th- there are so many ways in which weighing somebody is damaging their health psychologically and I'm not surprised that you felt all of this stuff afterwards because it was assault you know it was a form of assault mm-hmm. it was medical assault and nobody understands or nobody will talk about this but but, you know, what I'm saying is, what, why? This is causing people yeah, to yeah. avoid seeking health professionals and for them to get mm-hmm. sick. And and it's also, unfortunately, causing doctors to ignore people and for them to get sick. And it just won't do. Yeah. It won't do. <gasps> <laughs> you, you're I upset now. I hope everyone's listening. <laughs> no, I feel better. <laughs> um,
0: it is... Yeah, I mean... There's so much fucking work to do. I don't, you know, it's not as well as if doctors haven't got enough to do. Mm. Everyone's swamped, everyone's slammed. If there is this arduous, emotionally knackering, I imagine it is not fun for the person asking people to come and step on those scales either. Take it off the list if it's not relevant mm. like you say if it's if it's unless it's for one of those tiny things but then i guess you don't have a choice your doctors are doing what they're told by the powers that be just like patients are doing what they're told by the doctor because it feels like by the power
1: that yes we Maybe. can excuse doctors to a degree they're doing what they're told they right. have to do and that's fine and that is true that's very yeah. surface level weighing people and using body mass index within the healthcare system makes life a ton easier so much easier for doctors right. For example, um, when, you know, the government has all of these um, expectations of people, one of them is about surgical waiting lists, how long you're on a waiting list for surgery. So it became clear a very long time ago that these these targets were impossible to meet. You can't meet them because there's too many people needing surgery and not enough surgeons. Yeah. So what did they do? They said, OK, well, now your BMI has to be under 30 or under 35. Otherwise, you can't have surgery. Well, you got rid of a third of people instantly. Fuck! that's making life easier it's meaning that hospitals can earn the money that they need or they want to pay their staffs from the government now you could ask whose fault is it the government for making the rule in the first place the doctors and the hospitals for going about it the way that they have I don't even want to get into that argument my point is that it's making our lives easier do you know how much easier it is for somebody to turn around to a patient so just go and lose some weight and off you go rather than sitting down with them and saying I think you've got greater trochanter disease of your hip you know and this is what we have to do and then they go oh and what's the cure and you're like well it's not really a cure, but here are the things that you could. Oh, what? Can, you mm-hmm. know, it's a long conversation. Go and lose some weight for your hip pain. Done. <laughs> Off you go. The, and and the thing is, if you've been in that situation, oh. you know that you're not going to talk back. Instantaneously, studies yeah. have shown you will just literally, you will just shut down. You will not be able to communicate. You will lose all trust in that doctor, and you will feel like no one's taking me seriously. Why did I come here just to be humiliated and shamed and told it's my fault and I need mm-hmm. to lose weight? I'm not coming back again. And, you know, I, I see this literally every day. And I'm, not, I'm yeah. not pretending. I'm being serious. I've got patients that will come in and I go, oh, we were supposed to, you know, see you again after six months. This doctor so-and-so said that you'd come back after six months. Why didn't you come back? Yeah. No answer. Um, oh, I didn't want to come and talk to you about this, doc, but I'm getting desperate. Okay, why didn't you come in sooner? Oh, because I knew you were just going to blame it on my weight. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's become oh. uh, just part and parcel of my daily work. And... Mm-hmm um the I mean the mental health consequences of it the amount of people I and I ask the question now I didn't used to but I ask the questions I sort of tease out the eating disorder or the disordered eating when a patient comes in to see me and they're and they're feeling low um I ask the usual questions about depression anxiety I ask about suicidal ideation and self-harm because that's essential part of you know I talk a little bit about trauma you know, you know, how, you know, how was life growing up and see if that gives me any clues because often there's trauma in the past mm-hmm. but then I will ask about how do you feel about your body, you know and, and it's just every yeah. time it's the one thing that makes them cry I have had patients the one thing they're holding in when they come to the doctor mm-hmm. is actually the one thing they know that the doctor isn't going to empathise with them about isn't going yeah. to care about like doctors will care about most things but not about this um, so oh. I actually think It makes life a lot easier for doctors. Gosh, weighing someone and going, your BMI is (laughs) showing the picture and going, can you lose some weight? Come back after you've lost 15 pounds. I mean, I've been told this so many times, come back after you've lost 15 pounds. That's what doctors will say to their patients. And then people come to me and say, what do I do? And I'm thinking, did they do your bloods? Did they do your x-rays? Did they they do what you're supposed to do? And they just haven't. They've just fobbed the patient off with come back after you've lost 15 pounds. That is dangerous and unethical. Yeah. Totally unethical. Yeah. Oh.
0: I want to set fire to something.
1: Okay. Okay. Um. <laughs> mm.
0: Right, I'm going to ask you some now very, very banal <laughs> but standard silly questions mm. about eating stuff. Mm. Oh, what should we go for? Uh, how do you feel about sharing food?
1: Um, who with? You got to be specific. Yeah, really nice. I've kept it vague
0: on purpose, okay. but I like that. Um, I'm an only child, right. and I I thought I was good at sharing, and I think I'm having a reckoning at the moment with the fact that actually <laughs> I do share, but I spend the entire time either feeling like God, I am so lovely for having shared that, loving yourself, or yeah, with solid sort of solid. Toxic resentment coursing through me, whilst I hand them their bit of my food.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think, I think if it's someone that I'm really close to and we're used to sharing food, but it has to be an eco I mean, when you say sharing, yeah. you mean me giving them some of my food and they're not returning the favour. Yeah, I think that's why. Oh would, no, guy yeah. won't do that. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Great. just to make that very clear. No, no we can swap yeah. if it's something I'm interested yeah. in. If it's not something I'm interested in, the only exception, unfortunately, is I've got. Unfortunately I don't mean unfortunately I've got two autistic children But I do have two autistic children Who will sometimes go to a restaurant Try something And I I will literally order The thing I know they'll like Because I'll know they'll take one bite Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud of them for trying But then we have to swap And even then I love my kids with all my heart But I am sitting there thinking They've got the better meal And having to eat something I don't want So yeah Even then I'm feeling angry Yeah And that's my children (laughs) 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 Not ashamed to admit it It's fine Oh, I love it. I
0: love it. <laughs> Great answer. Any types of things to eat or drink that you think of as medicinal? Mm.
1: Well, chicken soup is... I mean, I'm, I'm raised in a Jewish household. Chicken mm. soup fixes everything. And when I'm sick to this yeah. day, the first thing I do is make chicken soup. Um, Lovely. I actually think I'm learning more and more about the... Um, you know, I, I'm. I'm... I'm realising more and more how tremendously awful the pharmaceutical industry is. I mean, I know it's bad, but the more I look into it, the more I realise how terrible it is. So I'm actually really interested to know what other cultures do medicinally, because people have been surviving mm-hmm. and living for, you know, thousands of years. Let's find out what other people do. So I'm quite into the kind of... As long as it's something you can add in, not something to take away. I'll never do the take away, and I'll never do the, yeah. this is virtuous and this is not. But if someone says, you know, have some echinacea, because that will actually stop you from getting a cold, I'm up for it. I will try that. Yeah, I'll have a ecodosia tea, whirl. why not?
0: Lovely. Mm. Yeah, do you know what, the classics are... I've definitely had a sore throat eased by a bit of hot lemon and honey. Yeah, it works. Perhaps with a tiny bit of rum. It works even better. Yeah. It's a numbing, mm. it's a numbing. It's just numbing. Local anaesthetic, numbing? yeah. Lovely numbing. Mm. Yeah, do <laughs> great. God. <laughs> Quick fire questions. Tell me about food... That you won as a prize or were given as a gift
1: chocolate D- do I have to expand Great. on that chocolate the end not if you don't want to <laughs> chocolate's the end chocolates chocolate 's the best thing fin. in the whole wide world chocolate done <laughs> love it favorite favorite chocolate oh don't ask me that. that's like that's like saying it was your favorite child okay, sorry sorry no. No. yes <laughs> but, but probably the <laughs> Anything boozy, boozy chocolate of any kind. You stick Ooh, booze and chocolate in the same thing. Fli- oh, goodness me. That is the best thing yeah. ever invented. There you go. Oh, How God, to make me happy? good show. <laughs> yeah, good show. <laughs> um, crisps or cake? Oh, again, why are you doing this to me? It depends what I'm in the mood for. No, I can't answer that. Oh, like like the- <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's cake.
0: Overall, it's cake. Okay. If I had to pick. Great. I'm going to build
1: you a crisp cake. (laughs) Ever eaten a bone? On purpose or for fun? (laughs) Or by accident? Depends what you mean by eating a bone. Like, do you mean like the entire bone? Um. It's quite. It there are some. Bit. It can be any cultures bit. where it's quite normal to kind of gnaw on yeah. and chew on your bone. And um, yep. I am um, married to a Ghanaian, and so I've got quite used okay. to. Like, I remember my first son's first ever meal was a chicken drumstick, and he literally cleaned yes. that thing, cleaned it, and produced oh. a bone at the end of it. It was about six months. <laughs> we weren't paying attention. Oh, I love it. So um, yeah, I think we are a bone <laughs> cleaning family, but I don't think I'd go so far as eating the yeah. bone. No. Okay, fine. That's taking it deeper. Weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Oh, I don't know. I've eaten um, crickets. Oh. It's, yeah. They were kind of weird. But yeah. they were quite nice. Yeah, okay. I enjoyed those. Okay, fine. <laughs> ever eaten food intended for a
0: pet and or someone else?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not deliberately. No, I've never eaten pet food. It stinks. Okay. No. Why would anyone do that?
0: Yeah. Mm. No. Okay. <laughs> it's time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It turns out that grasshoppers are actually 1% green shell and 99% real life conscience and all these centuries on earth we thought that they were just normal insects and the only thing about them that was magical was their musical legs. No! And they're sick of being underestimated and they finally rise up like a terrifying moral swarm. Everyone who's ever done something evil starts transforming into leaves, flowers, stems and seeds yes that's what they eat and getting scoffed up. Um, But at the first it seems smug and only right until we realise that we've pretty much all done something evil after all we've all been three years old anyway it's carnage and we're all turning into herbs it's a beautiful apocalypse but an apocalypse nonetheless it's all agreed not to have ever happened but only if you and weirdly it does have to be you Asha agree to build every single Lego Ninjago <laughs> set all by yourself without any breaks and whoever's holding the instructions keeps wobbling them about so you can't read them easily Maybe can it take even longer? All the while, you've also got to be using your mouth to mimic the sound of air in a shell that sounds a bit like the sea. So you can't even be past any snacks. It sounds impossible, but you do it! You're a hero! Oh, wow. Your ward is the adulation of all people for all time. And a place in history is the person who saved us all from this terrifying judgy apocalypse (laughs) Um, but your reward in the moment and bearing in mind you are so hungry because that took ages Um, it's the feast of your dreams nothing matters there are no consequences everything is possible it's a fantasy I would love to know and I'm aware this is only your answer now and if I'd asked you before lunch or even in another 10 minutes time it could be different in that moment the happiest and hungriest you've ever been on top of the world What would you eat and what would you drink? And if you'd like to choose a location and any fantastical company for this event, you are also welcome to.
1: Oh, my God. I've never felt so happy before in all my life. I mean, I don't know. This is like really boosted my soul right now. I am in the moment. I've won. I can eat anything I want. Um, And it's so hard because how do you pick? How do you pick? But you know that you can eat whatever you want tomorrow. And the rest of your life so you can yeah. just pick whatever's on your mind yes, so i'm obviously going yeah. to pick sushi because i didn't get my sushi today so first thing yes. i'm gonna pick i would love a i want a platter of sashimi i want some maki i want mm. some i want like a full you know the really expensive platters that i would never normally buy because yeah. they're too expensive i want the whole thing to myself I'm not sharing yeah. food the rest didn't do the mm. hard work um oh, i drink it <sighs> can can make booze that can be booze. Yes. Yeah, I'd have an amaretto yes. sour, but it doesn't go with my. But it would be fine because I would do it separately. I don't care. Yeah. it would in this instance. It'd work. It would work. Mm. Um, I with the cherry in. Yes, of course, and um, not the one with the egg white. I don't. I don't know. Some people put egg white. That's not for okay. me. I, I like it just okay. sort of. I'm a purist. The amaretto the lemon. the, sat, the, lemon, the ch- Yeah. Now, um, to be honest, I'd be on my own because I'd mm. worked really hard, and I don't yeah. want anyone sharing this moment with me. That's my own to you know enjoy for myself i might actually want to be um in um my lovely neck of the woods just like in the highlands in the scottish highlands oh. eating sushi drinking an amaretta so I myself in the scottish highlands there you go oh. <laughs> how's that what a beautiful answer <gasps>
0: Asha is the best. What a lovely, fully, whole, absolute, complete and totally excellent episode. No, I think so. I fucking loved that one. So there, follow Asha on Instagram at TheFatDoctor. They're always doing really interesting Insta lives and putting on webinars about things which you can sign up to. And they're so informative and engaged on there. Asha is providing so many incredible resources and listen to their brilliant podcast too called The Fat Doctor Podcast. Why don't you come and see me do some new stand-up material all over the place this summer? I'd love that. I'm doing previews in places like Oxford and Manchester and even Slovenia, Uh, as well as all over London, as usual. So head to my website to see what I've got on jessicafosterq.com. That's also where you'll find tickets to the Hoovering Lives coming up in July at the Latitude Festival and in August at the Roundhouse Comedy Festival in Camden. us on social media at the hoovering pod i'm on at jessica fosterkew send us voice notes pictures whatsapps to O7. Ose-
1: when you make decisions for your company you look for the
0: no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89 percent off usps and ups